Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In today's episode of Negotiation in Real Life, we've got something a little bit different. Rather than interviewing another guest on the show, today I'm going to be sharing a couple of stories of different negotiations that illustrate some of the challenges with the way that businesses currently resolve their commercial disputes. I look at two examples of disputes where legal intervention has either caused issues or has been avoided to get to a quick and commercial settlement of the negotiation. These stories are based on real examples of disputes that I have been involved in, but I have changed the names, the industries, the amounts, and all other relevant details to protect the identity of my clients. In today's episode, we just start with the idea of the challenges in the legal system, but in our next episode, I'll keep moving forward with some possible solutions to how we might address these challenges better going forward. I hope you enjoy listening to these stories. If you like this particular format, please do reach out and send your feedback through to me. You know, one of the things that I've observed both in my time in industry, but also in my time as a commercial mediator, is that the legal system that we're all familiar with and use doesn't always get efficient results, particularly where the value of the dispute is relatively low. The legal fees and costs incurred in bringing a claim or defending a claim are quite disproportionate to the amount that is in dispute. And so what I'm going to talk to you about today, trying to stir the world up a little bit in the way in terms of how we provide assistance for clients with disputes. So what I'm going to do is actually talk about a little scenario. This is a real scenario and it comes from some negotiation consulting work that I did. And I want to take a look at what we did differently, but also what might have happened down the traditional path. So in this case, we had two businesses that had had a long-standing relationship. 
And in fact, they'd been in business together for about 25 years. One was an engineering company. They had a large fleet of fairly specialised vehicles. And for 25 years, they'd been bringing all of these vehicles to a particular mechanic who would do their specialised fit-outs, but would also then do all of the maintenance on the vehicles. Now, everything had been going swimmingly. The owner of the business, it was a privately held um, engineering company, fairly sizable business, um, and their fleet of vehicles was anywhere from 25 to 50 over different times, but held privately by a couple. And they were coming to the point where they were thinking, look, maybe it's time to exit this business. So they were starting to get things organised for an exit process. Now, part of this, they realised that for quite a number of years, they'd been taking all of their vehicles to the mechanic. The CFO and the the wife owner realised that they had a fairly strange commercial arrangement going with the mechanic who was doing all of these repairs. He would basically take the, the vehicles in when they came, do what he thought was necessary, and it was quite common that the business wouldn't be provided with an invoice and the business owner, the, the husband owner, would just arrange for a payment of what he thought the approximate costs of the repairs were for that particular month. And this had been going on for years. They were just sort of paying these estimates. No invoices had ever been raised. No questions had ever been asked. But now in the process of getting the business ready for sale, it became recognised that this couldn't keep going on. So the wife and the CFO got involved and they went to the mechanic and they said, we need for you to start issuing invoices. And in fact, if you do any work that's valued over a couple of thousand dollars, um, we will not pay it. We'll only pay the $2,000 unless you give us a tax invoice for the full amount. Not only that, we feel like we've been paying an awful lot We'd like you to do a reconciliation for the last three years to show that what we've been paying you is um, fair and reasonable. Now, the mechanic didn't take this very well. He obviously was not thrilled at the fact that this relationship was being called into question and he got quite upset. He also then decided that he had been undercharging for years. Now, on the side, the client had also decided that they were getting a bit frustrated. So they had started taking some of their vehicles to an alternate mechanic and they were starting to get this impression that they might have been being severely overcharged for years. So you've got the, the client sitting there going, wow, we think we've been overpaying for years. You've got the mechanic sitting there going, I've been doing these guys a favour. I've never reconciled. I've never charged them all of what I was entitled to. And now they're complaining and they want a reconciliation. So he said, well, you want a reconciliation for three years. I'm going to go back 10 years and I'm going to get all the money that, that you haven't paid me. So they came to an agreement in the end that they would do a five-year reconciliation. After he did that reconciliation, it turned out that he was claiming close to half a million dollars in extra charges that he hadn't been paid. Now, as you can imagine, the business was not thrilled about this. And, you know, in fact, they'd been coming thinking, we're going to get some of our money back because you've been ripping us off and overcharging us and spending too long and charging excessive amounts for parts. And here they are being told, well, you've got to give us an extra half a million. Now, if we think about what would typically happen in a case like this, now, once again, it was interesting because the mechanic wasn't actually issuing an invoice 
to get the half a million dollars. He was just saying, you owe me this and you need to pay me. He did have some vehicles in the workshop and he did have all of the workshop records and all of the service manuals, the whole fleet, that he sort of had the ability to hold as ransom. Now, typically in a case like this, you would expect the parties to then, if they can't negotiate it themselves, which they've gotten to a stalemate in their personal negotiations, to go to a lawyer. Now, the only reason that the the client was wanting this to get resolved, because obviously they didn't have to volunteer and jump up and down and pay the money unless the mechanic was demanding it, but they did want to make sure that their books were clean in the event that they had a potential sale come up. So they needed to get this resolved. They needed to get any liability off the books and they wanted to do so without paying any additional money. Now, if they had gone to a lawyer, the typical process that you would expect is that the lawyer would have given an opinion as to whether any money was owed or not. And what we know about lawyers is that they will be fairly optimistic for their own client as they're assessing this. So they'd probably have gone, you know, here's a whole bunch of reasons why, because of the process, because of the time that's elapsed, because of all sorts of things, we don't believe that you are obligated to pay the mechanic any further amounts. If they did that and went back, he's probably going to get his own lawyer and will probably get a conflicting opinion saying, well, yes, if you do the reconciliation, maybe there's a statute of limitation issue, so you can't go back 10 years, but there's a good chance that you'll be able to put an extra claim in for some extra hours. So you might then get some sort of letter of demand coming through. You might have to go then to issuing proceedings. Defence might be issued, there might be discovery, and then probably at that point, the court will order the parties to mediation. Now, during that piece, when you think about what that might mean, the costs for the clients of going through that process are going to be fairly significant. This was close to half a million dollars, so it was out of magistrate's court, it would have been into the county court. So you're probably talking to get to proceedings issued defence, discovery, mediation, even if mediation came in before discovery, you're probably talking at least $30,000 in combined legal fees for the two parties, maybe a bit less, maybe quite a bit more. The other thing is that this process is going to be slow. Obviously, we know that depending on which court you're in, there can be quite long delays. So if the engineering business is trying to sell their business, and this is going on, it's going to impact their ability to sell the business. It's absolutely unclear on what the value would be to both businesses from the disruption of their senior management as they're managing this dispute. My guess is there's going to be a few sleepless nights for both businesses, and that then leads to an impact on the families of the business owners, all of which are fairly negative outcomes. Now, what happened in this case was that the engineering company could see what was ahead. They didn't want to go to court. They didn't want to involve lawyers. So they brought me in in this case, and I went and sat down with the mechanic. We had a couple of sessions of negotiation looking at what would be reasonable, what would be fair. I also went back and spoke to my client, and in the end, there was a settlement resolved. It was actually highly favourable to the mechanic because my client really valued getting a resolution and because they also valued or wanted to recognise the fact that there had been a really positive relationship and friendship for a number of years. So because their driving interest was getting this done, getting it cleaned up and money wasn't the objective for them, they were happy to pay a bit more than they would have otherwise to get this resolved. But let's have a look now more generally at what's causing this. So 
There are a few problems with the legal system as it plays out. The first one, and I think the most significant in terms of being able to get things resolved efficiently, is that we live in an adversarial process. It is a process that relies on only having one winner. You can't have two winners at trial. And the risk of that is that it actually causes a lot of stress and anxiety for people because they're now in a battle. You know, the minute you get into court, you're in a win or, win or lose battle. Now, what that does is a couple of things, and, and the biggest one is fear. Some of the mediation work I've been doing over the last year has been rent relief. Hugely difficult area because neither party has done anything wrong in a, in a rent relief dispute for COVID, something that's been forced upon the two of them to work out who's going to get a discount and how much that discount in rent will be. But one of the cases stood in mind because in this particular situation, the landlord and the tenant had been negotiating really well. They'd had good conversations. They were working through things. And, you know, the landlord reported to me, I thought everything was going really well. Why did it end up in mediation? Well, what happened was that the landlord decided that they needed to protect their position in case they couldn't get to a result. So they went to get legal advice. And not only did they get legal advice, the lawyer also wrote a letter to the tenant setting out what they thought the landlord's rights were and what was a reasonable request. There was nothing particularly unreasonable in the letter. It was a very fair, reasoned letter and not very different from what was eventually settled. But here was the problem. The minute the tenant got a letter from the landlord's lawyer, they got afraid. They thought, oh, my God, the landlord's gone legal. We can't afford a lawyer. They're going all guns blazing. We don't know what to do. So they went quiet. They stopped responding to the landlord. They didn't respond to the landlord's lawyer's letters. They just went into hiding and tried to avoid the fact that there was this conflict going on. So, of course, what happened was the conflict that was very close to being resolved and was quite amicable got worse because then the landlord's frustrated because the tenants disappeared and they think there's some nefarious purpose behind that. And it all just escalated. The very nature of the adversarial process actually creates this fear that can stop people participating. The other thing that I often see is that once people get to the lawyers, all the negotiations seem to stop. The clients are no longer negotiating directly because the lawyers are there and they've got a job to do, which is fine. But what tends to happen is that everything's done in writing. Now, there's a couple of issues with that. One is it's a very slow process. It's, it's a much slower process to have a series of letters going backwards and forwards than it is to have a conversation. But the other issue with that is that the writing is much more prone to being misinterpreted in a way that escalates conflict. If I'm in conflict with somebody and there's something that I'm reading and it could be interpreted as something positive and contributing to a negotiation, or it could be in, uh, interpreted as something that is being aggressive or hostile, because I'm already in conflict with that person, I'm much more likely to assess it and take it on board as something that's aggressive and hostile in its intent. So once again, that mere bringing down of communication to writing can increase the tension and stress. The other thing is we know that, and research has proved time and again, that lawyers have a subconscious bias around their estimates of prospects of success. If you give the same file with all the same information to three groups of lawyers, if you tell one group they're acting for the plaintiff, one the defendant, and one 
don't tell them who they're acting for, you will get three groups which have statistically different assessments of the likelihood of success and what a payout might be in the event. So once again, the fact that you've got optimistic lawyers on each side of the case means that you're more likely to see that the um, negotiations and the, the litigation process continuing on because people's estimates of their BATNA or their best alternative, which is a really important part of a negotiation, is to understand how good does it look if we don't settle, they're overestimating that and then maybe turning down offers that actually would make sense to accept. Other problems with litigation, of course, is that we know that the system is somewhat overwhelmed. I don't know where the backlogs are from COVID. I think things starting to get back together, but that can cause delays and troubles, which means people are stuck with these disputes for longer than they need to be. And then finally, the cost, as I've said, can be quite disproportionate to the value of the dispute. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, view presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application form. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.